Hello and welcome to Time for Sonified. I'm so excited about this episode. Um, this is the very first interview that we have, are going to be doing on Time for Sonified. Um, so I have my friend Aziz Ahmad to talk about some um, figures from Black history because as you know, or as you may know, um, February is Black History Month. And I have this friend, Aziz. I actually want to give a little bit of context about why I chose Aziz to be on this episode with me. So Aziz and I know each other from college. We went to Baldwin Wallace University together. If you don't know, if you don't know about that school, don't worry. It's a tiny school in Cleveland. And when we were seniors in college, a man named Donald Trump was elected as the president of the United States. And Aziz responded. So Aziz is a, I'll let him introduce himself after I'm done, like, ranting. Aziz is a political science major. He was. And so his response to Trump being elected was he got a bunch of us together in the student union. And he basically organized like this open mic, like open discussion thing where we all came together, talked about how we felt, talked about like issues that were important to us. And it was just kind of like and like already initiating this like healing experience for what we were going through. And yeah, I was really, I said it at the time, I was really proud to be his friend at the time. And during this event, Aziz gets on stage and he just like fangirls about Harriet Tubman for like 15 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> and that is why I thought of Aziz first when I thought of doing a Black History episode on this podcast. So yeah, we're gonna talk about some people, read their birth charts, um, it's going to be fun. So Aziz, why don't you um, introduce yourself and just tell us about some of the things that are happening in your life in this moment. Sure. Well, that was a great introduction. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, and just to know, I didn't organize that rally by myself. Fran was one of the main organizers and I would not have been able to get anything done without her. So, And we did it in such a short time period too. Like that turnaround was very quick. So mm -hmm. very, we've always made a great team. Um, but yeah, so after I graduated college, I became a teacher with Teach for America. Um, so I teach second grade in Cleveland Metropolitan School District. But Teach for America is an organization that work, places uh, college graduates in lower income, lower resource schools where there aren't enough teachers. Um, and kind of helps us work with the students and work toward educational equity. So we not only teach, but we fundraise, we advocate, we organize. And so um, I've spent, I'm an alumni of the organization now, but I'm still teaching. So I've spent three years at the school that I'm at. Um, and, you know, we've got to set up some really cool programs and see some really cool growth. And I love teaching black history. And so this is, I'm, I'm so happy to be on here because I really enjoy teaching the little, little or known facts and everything there is to teach about Harriet Tubman because as you just said, she is, I'm a fangirl and she is the best historical figure I can think of, honestly. <laughs> she is, she was such, is, was such a badass. Like we'll get to, <laughs> we saved her for last. Um, but yeah, the fact that she was like this tiny woman who just oh like not only saved all these people, but like she fought in a war. Like she she was insane. Um, she just did it all. 
Yeah. Okay. I'm so excited to dive into the history here. So first, uh, let's lay the groundwork here. Um, why is it that we have a month dedicated to Black history? Why is it so important that we focus on specifically that? Yeah. Um, so uh, Black history actually started off as a week um, in the 1920s. Um, 1926, it was called Negro History Week. And it was actually an initiative to kind of build momentum around the liberation movement and the civil rights movement. So um, a guy named Carter Woodson initiated this week with, through his organization. And um, he picked the week of February 12th, the, um, the week of February 12th, because it was both Abraham Lincoln's birthday on the 12th and then Frederick Douglass's birthday on the 14th. So he thought that was a very symbolic week. Um, and then as <clears throat> it popularized, people wanted to expand it into a month just to kind of have more of an opportunity to um, highlight some of the important things that happened because there's so much that so much to talk about that a week and a month are not long enough. Yeah, definitely. There's so much. Um, I mean, any like study, any like specific topic within history, like you could dedicate years of your life to studying it. Um, yeah. So that's good that we have more time dedicated to Black history. <laughs> yeah, just a fun fact for any Ohio friends is um, the first Black History Month celebration was actually in Kent State um, in Ohio. So I thought that was pretty, pretty interesting. We went to Baldwin Wallace, which is about like 30 minutes away from Kent State. So kind of cool to be surrounded by that history here. No, I didn't know that. That is so I cool. Know. And I didn't know about it being just a week prior. See, I'm glad I have you here because you know all <laughs> the things. <laughs> um, why do you think that understanding um, Black history is going to, or how do you think it can move us closer to creating more equality in the United States? And I guess globally, if it seems like it's kind of a U.S. thing, Black History Month. Um, so actually, it is celebrated globally. Um, I know it's celebrated in like Ireland and the UK, but they actually celebrate it in October. Um, I'm not sure about the significance of that. Um, but there is uh, um, celebrations all over the place. I think it's important, but it's mainly in Ohio. I, uh, not in Ohio, I'm sorry. It's mainly in the US. I think it's important um, to kind of reflect on this history. One, because for so long it has been... Um, not it has been kind of suppressed knowledge like it's a conversation that we've blocked because of discrimination history in our country and so there are so many amazing things that have been erased um, because they were accomplished or they were done by black people and so it's very important to to in general, explore all facets of history so we can learn from the past and move forward. Um, but it's all, it's specifically important to talk about black history because of the intentional efforts to erase it. So we have to make sure that whatever was taken away is brought back to light. Um, I also think too, it's black history. Like, I mean, it's kind of a cliche to say, but it's very true that black history is American history. A lot of our development stems from, um, movements created by uh, black activists and leaders. So I think just to understand where we are today is helpful to, to look back at the past and then just kind of to understand that like there, there have been so many contributions. I think when you see 
a community such as the black community and how much they've contributed to our society today, it's hard to justify the discriminatory policies that are put against the black community because, you know, they helped build this country. And so um, I think it's important to reflect on, on all those great accomplishments for those reasons. Yeah, definitely. And I've always been a believer that like the way that we're, the way that we view history and the way that we teach history to um, our children and talk about it amongst each other, it really affects the decisions and the actions that we make in the present. And um, I think amplifying the voices of black history figures and basically like restoring them to their rightful place of being remembered by history is such an important part to moving forward as um, equal and also like um, young black people and even like mm. young people of color um, to be able to have historical figures to look up to the same way that white people do is so so important in my opinion oh that's why yeah yeah so yeah we we chose three main black history figures to um, to talk about to spotlight two of them are are kind of lesser known. I actually didn't know that either of them existed until Aziz told me about them. Um, so yeah, we're going to start with uh, Claudette Colvin. So do you want to tell us about Claudette Colvin, Aziz? Sure. So Claudette Colvin is a really interesting Black history figure, and she is very um, lesser known. Um, and so she actually, I came to discover her legacy when I tried to find some younger people in the civil rights movement so that my students can relate to um, this concept that you don't have to be you know, in your 30s or 40s to start being an activist, you can start as a child. So Claudette Colvin um, was 15 years old in 1955. She was riding the bus in Montgomery, Alabama and she refused to give up her seat to a white woman um, who had walked on the bus. And this sounds like a familiar story, because um, a few, I want to say years, months or years, a few, but a while later, Rosa Parks did the same thing. So a lot of people believe that Rosa Parks was the first to do this, and she kind of walked onto the bus, sat down, and refused. But actually, the real story is Claudette Colvin was the first to do this. She got arrested. She took her case to the NAACP, where Rosa Parks worked as a secretary and um, and an investigator, I believe, and she. Rosa Parks and kind of the, the organizers of the NAACP decided that what Claudette Colvin did was extremely um, beneficial and could like could stir up this movement, which ended up um, leading to the uh, bus boycotts. However, um, Claudette Colvin was not the person to lead this movement because uh, back in the day, colorism was still, still a thing and she was a very dark skinned woman. She was also very young and she was pregnant. And so, um, so the the organizers thought it would be disadvantage, like a disadvantage to the movement, because they thought it would be harder for her to gain sympathy. So Rosa Parks, being this old small woman, was you know she could gain a lot more sympathy from the masses. And so they had Rosa Parks almost reenact what Claudette Colvin did. So I think it's very important. I mean, she's very. Her whole story is, is very interesting, but in the brief, um, like she kind of was the one who inspired Rosa Parks to do what she did in order to inspire this larger movement. She's actually also still alive. So I think that's really interesting 
um, just to, to note how she, you know, this didn't happen that long ago. Like our grandparents, like mm -hmm. she's the same age as a lot of our grandparents. And so um, just to kind of to kind of keep that in mind, it, it really brings into perspective, um, you know, this, this just happened. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's such a good point, because also we're going to talk about Bayard Rustin later, and his partner's still alive. Um, his husband or uh, husband-boyfriend partner is still alive, and um, I, I'm sure Martin Luther King would have would have lived kind of into the 20th, 21st century further if he wouldn't have been killed. So yeah, this was like recent age. history. Yeah, Martin Luther King Jr. and Barbara Walters are the same age. Oh, wow. I didn't know Which that. Is, yeah. Yeah, so that's... Um, Interesting fact, along with Anne Frank, they're all three the same age. So they, they would have all been the same age if um, they, you know, if they all survived. So it's really interesting because I think we kind of often think about these things as happening so far in the past, but they, they are just recent history. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, so I have her birth chart right here. And the main so there's two things that I've that I notice in her chart actually transits that are happening right now. And um, for those of you who are not super familiar with astrology, and also for the purpose of Aziz, because I don't think you practice a lot of astrology either. No, uh, I don't, so, <laughs> so basically, you've got her birth chart here. Um, and we have things in our charts called transits. And a transit is when like the sun or another planet is in the same degrees that another planet was in when you were born. So for example, like um, if she's having a, tr this is her Mars right here. So if she's having, when if another planet or the sun or something moves into 24 degrees of Capricorn, it's on top of her natal Mars and it's like activating a part of her chart. Mm. Um, so there's two things that I notice here in her chart. First of all, she has Mars at 24 degrees, 24 degrees of Capricorn, and she's a Virgo, by the way. Um, she's a Virgo sun and a Taurus moon. So she has a lot of earth energy in her chart. So the first thing that I kind of thought about her essence when I looked at her chart is that she's very practical. Um, and Bernie Sanders is actually a, an example of somebody who's like an activist who has a lot of earth in their chart. It's, he's not really, he's driven by ideas, but like when you listen to his speeches, he doesn't talk so much about like big ideas like other candidates do. He talks about like what he wants to do. Like his speeches are almost like to-do lists. Um, so yeah. I kind of get that same energy with Claudette Colvin. It's like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to not give up my seat on the bus. I'm going to actually like take practical action to correct what I see to not be in alignment. Um, but her Mars in Capricorn, this is really significant. For anyone who's been following astrology for a while, there was a Saturn-Pluto conjunction in Capricorn just a few weeks ago. Um, and this is, a, uh, this is something that happens every 37 years. Saturn and Pluto meet every 37 years. And whenever they meet, there's this element of disrupting um, power structures. There's like a shifting of power. Like you could go into like, World War One and World War II astrology, because those both took place during Saturn-Pluto conjunctions. It's happening again right now. Um, also, the um, the 80s was another time that this happened. Um, and there's like a sh there's just shifting of power. There's redrawing of borders. Um, there's just things changing up in the um, in 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 the terms of like who has power. And this transit is actually happening directly on her natal Mars. And in addition to that, she also has her Neptune at 22 degrees of Virgo, 
And countries like, you know, countries have natal charts just like people do. And the United States has its natal Neptune in the exact same place. Um, and Neptune right now is opposite her Neptune. So basically what I'm seeing with all of this is that her chart is being hit by really major planets right now. Um, and what you were saying is these about her being really young and being an activist and how you teach your children that you don't have to grow up to be an activist. You can kind of see this with the younger generations, with kids mm -hmm. walking out of classrooms and saying, it's not safe for me to be in school because there's like gun violence. So I'm going yeah. to protest that. And with kids globally protesting climate change because they're ultimately the ones who are going to be um, like, they're going to be f facing the consequences of um, things that old people are doing who are in power yeah. right now. Um, so I can kind of see her chart being activated and I can see we're seeing this like rise of the youth. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? I know I threw no. a lot at you just now. <laughs> no, that was awesome. Well, I, I kind of looked away for a second because when you had mentioned her um, being like more of like a Bernie Sanders type of just like the practical activist of this is what I want to get done. And she actually went on with a few other women to file a Supreme Court case called for uh, Browder v. Gale, if anybody wants to look that up. But essentially this was a case that ended up legally changing the segregation laws in Montgomery um, and, you know, making that that legal impact. So what Rosa Parks did was a social impact, but what Claudette Colvin did had a very, and I mean, Rosa Parks contributed to the legal impact, but Claudette Colvin put her name on that, that case and um, spoke, spoken um, in the cases and testified. And so I think that that definitely does play into the very practical activism that we see um, in the youth today of just kind of like, we're taking the, the actions that we need to take in order to, um, to accomplish our goals. Like we're not just going to protest and uh, you know, protesting is very important and it's very valuable, but there's a step beyond that of structural change. And so that's where I can definitely see from her chart, from what you, what you just explained that she's, she's an advocate for structural change, which uh, it's cool to see that's being activated again when the youth. Yeah, yeah, because the, the Saturn-Pluto conjunction is all about structural change and you can see that happening in the United States right now um, as yeah. we're going through this aspect and we're kind of there's there's a real shifting around of power happening in the U.S. and it's painful right now <laughs> but um, it's yeah it's it's yeah it's a lot of things <laughs> um, <laughs> and also I was the the thing that the thing that mostly struck me about her chart was the fact that she was literally born during the United States Neptune return. There's not a lot of people who have that natal Neptune directly conjunct the US Neptune because Neptune has a um, I think it's like a 200 year cycle. Um, so this doesn't happen very often. Um, and what we're seeing right now, because right now the the right now Neptune in reality is right here in Pisces, so it's opposing her Neptune and it's opposing the natal Neptune. And there's kind of like a tug of war happening with like what's the reality right now and what is the the dream that America was founded on. So one of the questions that I kind of wanted to ask you, based off of what I see in your chart, is how did she embody that like 
I, the term is used so much, but like, how does she embody that American dream that the framers of the Constitution had when they were um, like fighting in the revolution and, and creating a new country? It's a huge question, but <laughs> see what you say. No, yeah, it's a very big question. So I'm gonna try to give a good answer. Um, so one thing I thought was really interesting, which I think relates to, to the answer to this question is that she, says that when when she refused to give up her seat she felt like the her all her ancestors kind of holding her down and like weighing her down so like that she physically could not get out of her seat like she says she could feel the hands of um, her ancestors on her shoulders and i think that that speaks volumes of um you know this american concept of our, our history as in rebellion against um, or resisting unjust injustice, and so uh, and that that goes back to what we said earlier: Black history and American history are intertwined. So American history is based off of resistance against unjust policies uh, in whatever means possible. And she shouted and she testified to shouting multiple multiple times, like, "You can't do this. This is my constitutional right. I have a right to do this." And so I think that plays into the whole idea that we our country is built on a constitution written a long time ago but it has a as a framework for the way society is supposed to be and we should always reflect back to that to determine whether or not things are fair and so um she that's what that's exactly what she did she called upon and justified her actions based off of what the founding fathers wrote in the constitution she she created an interpretation that was fit for the, our society today i think that's very important it was like um, the Constitution is a living document, and we have to constantly reinterpret. And that's the whole point of the judicial system. And she did that in her activism. And, and as a 15-year-old girl, she was able to kind of um, articulate that in a way that was very impactful and very powerful. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but I think, I that think just totally uh, answers it. Yeah, yeah. I think she's she's definitely um embodying this idea of when there is injustice we resist it we justify our resistance through um you know what has what has been brought to or given to us from our forefathers that's so cool and when you were talking about the ancestors i immediately went to um cancer in your chart this is her cancer um mm. cancer is is um really closely related to family and ancestral energy and she has chiron in cancer and chiron it's a tiny planet in between saturn and uranus we can't actually mm. see it with the naked eye and chiron in your chart is where you are a teacher and where you can actually use your past to teach people and even heal people or heal society so that was something that I saw on her chart oh, when you were talking awesome. about. And that's so cool. Like she felt her ancestors like, um, so maybe as a Chiron in Cancer, she had this, a, this connection with um, her ancestors. Like they were able to um, communicate with her in that moment. That's pretty yeah. cool. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. The last question I really wanted to ask about Claudette Colvin was like, mm -hmm. um, the fact that, um, I, like you, you mentioned that there was colorism within racism. She was a much yeah. darker woman. But why is it that even today, 
Um, Because I know we're not that far beyond the civil rights movement, but why do we Mm. still not know who she is and why we're, because we talk about the civil rights movement in school all the time, those of us who are educated in the U.S. So how do we still not know who she is? And how are we still fed that same story that was a reenactment? Yeah, well, so again, and this is probably going to be a theme throughout the whole, the, whole, the whole episode here, because we've kind of tried to consolidate Black history into one easily consumable month of like random facts and a few key figures and one thing that those key figures did. But however, Black history is so complex, but to... I feel like, especially with our education system, we limit the time that we, we a lot to talking about these stories, we have to pick and choose. And she wasn't the forefront of the story when it happened. Even though she was the, the driving force, she was suppressed because of the colorism and she was suppressed because of the structure of the movement. And so I think it was very easy to just let her, her story go. And I, I feel like you're gonna find that with a lot of Black history figures, of it, it's, we try so hard to consolidate the history as opposed to giving it its, its proper a lot of time. I would also say that we tend to take Black history in a way that's um, easy for us to spread our current beliefs and ideals. And so um, for, to dive into a story like Claudette Colvin's, it's not, it's, it doesn't um, help the progressive agenda that we have going on today, which is we would never, we wouldn't allow that to happen today where she was not, uh, her story wasn't told because she was, she was darker skinned. That's something that if the NAACP did that today, it would be um, criticized. And so we kind of drop that part of the story as, something that happened in the past and we don't really want to acknowledge that it was a mistake that we made in the past. And so um, I think that's, a, that's another reason of we kind of just gloss over it. Um, and that's a problem on, you know, the side of the activists is we have to really confront um, the way that we talk about history and make sure that we acknowledge any mistakes that our, our role models made. You know, Martin Luther King Jr., um, and the other leaders of the civil rights movement, they were great people and they did amazing things, but they also did have um, problematic tendencies. So, um, yeah, so I think it's just, it's, it's, it's hard for us to reckon that our, our role models might have made some mistakes um, that we wouldn't want, we wouldn't want them to make today. And it doesn't fit with the narrative that we want to create. So we kind of just shot the story. Mm-hmm. That is such a good point. I'm so glad that you brought that up because there are so many examples throughout history um, in the study of history. They're actually, historiography is the study of the study of history. Um, and there's so many examples of like how um, we actually use history and frame it in a way to sort of push the things that we believe now. Um, even yeah. like an example would be that we still, we look at the past through like enlightenment um eyes like we look at past people and in like their sciences and stuff through Mm. the eyes of people who um went through the enlightenment um because we still believe in enlightenment ideals so it's really interesting Mm. because yeah 
that it's no. such an important point. And, um, and we're also going to kind of see this coming through with Bayard Rustin, our next figure, because he was a black yeah. man and he was a gay man. And there's a, there's a whole lot to discuss around his experience with that. Um, oh, yeah. I barely, yeah. I just encountered this character, character, figure, person. <laughs> and um, no. I feel like I'm just scratching the surface of him. So, um, oh, yeah, yeah. tell us and all about Bayard. Okay, so, and yeah, Bayard is actually one as well that I've more recently discovered um, in my research of just kind of lesser known figures. Um, so Bayard Rustin was a civil rights leader who actually organized the March on Washington. And I think we kind of forget that Martin Luther King Jr. wasn't the actual organizer of, of all these marches. He was a um, honored speaker, but he wasn't the one who was doing the, the behind the scenes work by himself. He did help behind the scenes, but it was a whole team of people. And what I really like about Married Western's story is that reminder that you, not everyone's going to be the Martin Luther King Jr. of, of the movement that they're a part of. Not everyone's going to, to have the name and the legacy that um, carries on for years and years, but that doesn't reduce the importance of your work. And so this is Bayard and Claudette are um, like some of the, the figures that I turn to when I'm starting to feel a little burnt out with the work that I'm doing, just kind of reminding myself like, you know, you don't have to, the glory isn't the, the purpose. The purpose is the, the outcome. And that's something that Bayard Rustin was definitely um, indicative of. So he was an organizer, um, a political rights activist, civil rights activist. He was also a uh, pacifist, a socialist, and a uh, gay rights activist. And that is where um, a lot of his uh, tension with the civil rights movement came, came across. Um, people didn't really want him to be a face of the civil rights movement because he was um, openly gay and they didn't really want, um, you know, that was still uh, an issue in itself. And so uh, he was very controversial in his time. He also had political views that people didn't really agree with. He, um, he spoke on issues in a way that was different than the collective voice of the civil rights movement. And so he was kind of um, outcasted a little bit, but he was still revered for his organization efforts. And I really respect the fact that he continued to organize despite the contention that he had with some of his, his fellow activists. Um, yeah, he was, a, he was a, he's a very interesting character that, not character, but you know what I'm saying. Um, we both keep using that word and we know how we're using that word, but he's a very interesting person that I, I definitely want to, um, sorry, I definitely want to continue um, exploring uh, just because his, his viewpoints and his perspectives were so unique in his time period because of the socialist aspect of what he believed and the really um he didn't want to look at uh the movement in a black and white way but sometimes that led to opinions that the black community felt like um wasn't helping the the restitution of their of their uh problems so for example he was actually um vocally against um uh, affirmative action because he believed that, um, you know, the goal isn't to 
a lot of people see affirmative action as like rewarding black people for being black and you know that's that's been a big um point of contention because the, the actual purpose of affirmative action is to provide restitution for all the injustices that were um you know placed upon the black community but um you know rustin didn't see it that way and so there was a lot of contention there and that's just one example of many of how he his politics kind of clashed with the rest of the movement but his organization skills were so powerful that he was such a key figure yeah it seems like i could be kind of off with this because i i literally did like a youtube search last night and like watched a few youtube videos about it that's my the extent of my research but it seems like he kind of <laughs> he kind of like shaped the the peaceful protest aspect of the civil rights movement because he went to india and he uh, gandhi had already been assassinated at that point but he learned from what gandhi had done in india and kind of brought it back to the u.s and he helped he really like a huge influence on martin luther king and stuff yeah yeah he actually he went there with the intention to learn about the nonviolence um because he did see that as a um an important way to to address the issues that was happening in the states which is a, again a testament to the way that he viewed the movement so he kind of saw um, the civil rights movement in a, in a very holistic approach and he was active in searching for other movements to kind of figure out the best practices um, and because of his influence and his organ organizing efforts he was able to um, push that agenda of nonviolence and um, making sure that that things stay peaceful and he has his jupiter in sagittarius um and that's actually mm -hmm. it's your jupiter sign and my jupiter sign because we were born oh. in the same year um and so usually people with jupiter and sag or like with planets in sagittarius they're they're people that like to travel and and kind of mm -hmm. expand the horizons it doesn't necessarily have to be travel a lot of times it manifests as travel um but a lot of times it's just as like exploring ideas that are just totally different from the ones that you were raised with um and going mm -hmm. out in search of new truths and i think he really embodies that with jupiter and sag and also he has so jupiter is the ruler of sagittarius so jupiter's at home in sagittarius jupiter's the philosopher mm. and he's like in his little philosophy office or like at his university when he's in um sagittarius and he also mm. has uranus in aquarius in the sign that uranus rules over so both of these planets are really in their power so when you talk about him being able to see the big picture um he has these two really expansive planets who are the big picture thinkers and uranus is the rebel and the and the revolutionary um mm. and one of my favorite quotes of his um, that i've discovered is i think i wrote it in the notes here how um every community needs a group of angelic troublemakers and uranus mm. is definitely the angelic troublemaker um yeah but um he was a really complex figure and he was kind of like um they didn't want him to be uh, a forefront person in the civil rights movement kind of because of his ideas and also because of his identity um yeah uh, do you think that still happens today i feel like this is an obvious question and the answer is going to be yes like where people are sort yeah. of pushed out of movements because their identity is too complex like they don't belong in this community because they also have this in their identity and or they have these ideas and so forth 
Yeah, I think that, I mean, that recently happened um, with the Women's March. So some of the, the lead organizers are um, Muslim women who are very pro-Palestine. And a lot of their comments are um, viewed as, you know, anti-Semitic, um, um, anti-Israeli. And so there, they, there was a woman who was, uh, or two women who were asked to step down from the board of the Women's March in order to kind of, um, kind of rectify the controversy that was caused by some of their pro-Palestinian statements. And so I do see that happening um, a lot all over the place of just, uh, just we are still searching for the, um, oftentimes in any movement, you're searching for the, the messaging and you want to attract as many people as possible and you want to make sure that your, your message stays consistent. And then when you have somebody who might push the message one way or another, um, that's when you come into problems. So you kind of push those people out of the movement in order to keep yours uh, strong. And so I think this is again, like Claudette Colvin, she was, uh, she was too dark to be the face of a movement. Um, Bayard Rustin was uh, too gay to be the face of the movement. Uh, so it's just kind of like they, the movement was so delicate at the time that they were so scared to have these um, very liberal, <laughs> you know, people like very out of the box. Um, I think the one thing is that that's, it's more accepted. It still happens that people are pushed out, but I think having a, a little bit more radical ideas and um, more diverse personalities are very important to movements. And I think people recognize that. And we see it to the, all the way to the extent of um, the, Demo the Democratic Party where we have, you know, Bernie Sanders, who is um, a socialist, a democratic socialist, spewing ideas way more radical than any candidate has in that party or any mainstream candidate at the, um, at the least, and he's being accepted, you know. And we have identities, um, black identities, Hispanic identities, queer identities that are being finally showing up in, um, in you know, Congress and. The the uh, represent the House of Representatives, like the 2016 midterm elections, showed us that we're becoming more accepting of those voices and those identities. But it, it definitely is still an issue that we have to um, address. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking the same thing before you said it um, when you were talking about like when you were talking about different identities in the movement, like the Democratic party at one point was the the primaries were like the most diverse that they'd ever been like the stage was yeah. just people from all walks of life and I thought that was really cool I was a little disappointed as it got less and less diverse yeah. <laughs> but I guess that's kind of how things are we're, we're moving towards a better um a better system but it's mm. where where we're at right now unfortunately. it takes steps um, yeah it definitely takes yeah. steps and so we we definitely have taken a step for further this election year um, and we're not where we want to be. And I think that's, that's something, again, in this movement of, you know, the civil rights movement, Bayard Rustin, and I've heard his name pronounced both ways. So if any of your listeners are cringing every time I say Bayard, because I've heard it pronounced Bayard, um, I might, I'm probably wrong, but if 
yeah, I apologize to any anybody, but um, I'm not, no offense intended, but I think with um, what I really liked about him and his thought process is he understood that the movement couldn't be as far as he wanted it to be because of where it started. And so he um, played it very strategically. And I think that's something that we grapple with um, in today's movement. So we, we want, um, and we, and I think it's justified why we want this, but we want things to be equal now because it should be, because we've been fighting for so long, but then we need to take his perspective of, you know, considering where we were, we've made progress. And so we can continue to make progress and look at things in a larger scale. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was definitely a big picture thinker. And um, also just like going back to these two planets he has in Aquarius, he's got Uranus and Venus in Aquarius. Aquarius is the the sign it's a humanitarian sign it's the sign of community and, and inclusion and equality and they mm -hmm. say that a lot of times people who have a lot of aquarius in their chart or who are aquariuses part of their life path like their initiation path is experiencing rejection because you have to experience rejection to understand what it means to truly belong um i kind of see that in his life path a little bit um and i also in his activism his activism was very economic based. Like he talked about pretty much any issue through like classism and economic stuff. Mm. Um, and he talks about how like he, he wasn't an activist because he was black or because he was gay, but because he was a Quaker and he was brought up on mm. the ideas that like we're all one human family, which is just so Aquarius. It's also, he's a <laughs> double Pisces, by the way, sun in Pisces, mm. moon in Pisces, which is the sign of unconditional love and like unity and peace. Um, also has his Chiron in Pisces. He's a very Pisces, just like Harriet Tubman will find. Um, yeah, okay. He has a cool. lot of Pisces energy in his chart. Um, hmm. And then his Mercury in Aries makes him, his speech very fiery and very straightforward and a little bit um, controversial. Um, that's probably not the, mm -hmm. like, um, I'm, the, the correct word is not coming to me, but like saying things that kind of trigger people, you know? <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, yeah. Like the politically incorrect kind of um yeah i get what you're saying so yeah back to this Ooh. quote about all of us needing a group of angelic every community needing a group of angelic mm. troublemakers how can we take bayard's story um and how can we become the angelic troublemakers for our human family in the 2020s yeah so i think um what we talked about earlier like that we have to all understand the joining the cause isn't for the purpose of um, the glory or the you know having your name on headlines or, or whatnot. And there, if you want to be the angelic troublemaker, um, you have to understand what you're fighting for. Like uh, Rustin knew that he was what he wanted to accomplish, and so he incorporated that into his lifestyle so i think um all of us have you, you know these skill sets and these specialties that we can use in order to advance whatever um movement you you are uh you are hoping to advance whatever cause you want to fight for you can you don't have to step out beyond what your specific interests are so if you're an artist you can use art to progress your 
your cause. If you are, for me, I'm a teacher. So I try to incorporate, um, you know, the lessons that I want people to take forward. I incorporate that to my classroom and there's second graders and a lot of this is complex for them, but they're, they're able to grasp this and take it a step further. And so for me, that's the way that I'm being the angelic rebel of, you know, I am like kind of teaching a little bit off the curriculum and teaching history that isn't, you know, pop, isn't in a textbook, isn't popularized. Um, you have artists who are writing shows and plays and songs and making making art that is causing controversy and, and you know, making people think. You have, you know, even doctors researching. I've actually, this is, it's going to sound a little bit off topic, but I feel like it, it, it aligns with the spirit of what, um, that quote means is like there are doctors who are being challenged to think of ways like outside of the box ways of solving issues like cancer and because of that we're we're making leaps and bounds to solving um to finding a cure for cancer or finding cures to diseases that we thought weren't curable so i think instead of trying to move toward the movement to take it where you're at and utilize like your specific um calling in order to and just thinking outside the box and being creative in order to fulfill your mission and having it deep rooted in yourself like how he did he said that um like his activist passion rooted in his his quaker belief his quaker belief system that's we all need to find tap into our belief system whatever it may be and pull out those um those callings of being peaceful and and unifying and whatnot, and then just start from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such an important point that we don't have to like be anything different than who we are in order to exactly. be an activist and do good. You can literally start with what you have in who you are because um, exactly. you, you're always going to have something to give. So let's now go to um, the main event. <laughs> we, we've talked about two amazing people um, and now we're going yeah. to talk about another amazing person and that is Harriet Tubman. Most of you have at least heard that name. Um, so Aziz, tell us all about Harriet Tubman. <laughs> oh my gosh, okay, I can put my notes away because I can do this from memory <laughs> at this point. Um, so Harriet Tubman was, she's my favorite historical figure. Um, Harriet Tubman was born Araminta Ross. She uh, was born an enslaved person and um, had, from her childhood, she had some complications. And I'm actually really curious to, um, to have you read her, cha her um, chart because some of, the, some of her actions are contested of like how factual they are. And, but there's interpretations of her actions based off of who people thought she was as a person. And so I'm kind of curious to see how that lines to her chart. But when she was younger, um, she was at a store with um, one of the slave owners and she, um, I called them kidnappers. That's why I kind of hesitated because I tried to, one of the things that I try to teach is um, the way that language affects the way we talk about history and black history. And a lot of the language that we use to talk about slavery as, um, not people centered toward the slaves, but very coddling toward the uh, kidnappers who stole the slaves and enslaved them. So um, instead of slaves, I try to say like enslaved people, instead of 
slave owners because um, you can't own people, um, you know, kidnappers. So if I switch between the two, it's just kind of my brain is working that way. But, yeah, I like um, that language. I'm yeah. totally adjusting my vocabulary now. Yeah, and I think I think it's important just to kind of um, be critical of the way the way that language has shaped how we look back at history. But however, so her one of her kidnappers was um, taking her to a store, and she saw another enslaved person uh, fighting with somebody, and the the person he was fighting with threw a brick at him, and she stepped in the way and it kind of intervened and it hit her instead. Uh, some people said it accidentally hit her. I, and some people say that she intentionally stepped the bucket. I choose to believe the latter just because of the person that she's proven herself to be throughout history. It seems like it just sounds like something she would do. Um, but regardless, she was hit in the head. She suffered um, brain damage for the majority of her life. So that's something that like anybody who hears her story needs to keep in mind the whole time is she stepped, um, had narcolepsy and would like pass out randomly. And you know there are accounts of her falling asleep during in the middle of conversations and then waking up and not realizing that she was passed out for an hour and people just not being able to wake her up. Um, so she, that's already, that's the first amazing thing about her is that like everything that she's done since she was a child um, was done at like under this brain damage that she suffered. Um, when she, you know, led herself to freedom, which was amazing feat by herself. She asked other people to come with her. Her brothers refused, um, but she kind of had this resolve. And she said that when she passed out, when she went into these spells, um, she was hearing God calling her to go somewhere. And so she took it upon herself to leave. The movie about her um, says that her husband wanted to go with her, but most of the accounts that I've read, um, nobody nobody was willing to go with her because it was very risky nobody knew what the uh, that they would survive the the trip so she left by herself made it to freedom uh, got a job did all did all that but then found out that her sister and her sister's kids were going to be separated um and so she went back to save them and that's just you know an amazing feat within itself is the fact that you're gonna put yourself back in such a dangerous situation in order to go save uh, your family and when she successfully brought uh, the, like those people back she kind of just realized that she could do it and it, people were amazed that she one was able to make it the first time by herself and two was able to sneak back in um, and come back out and be fine and um, so she did that about 17 times which more than most people the Underground Railroad was uh, a thing before Harriet Tubman came along, came along. However, she was so successful in her missions and she kind of did things that other people weren't able to do because she was a black woman, because she was a formerly enslaved person. Um, she was able to have insight that the other um, conductors of the Underground Railroad didn't have. And so she never lost um, an enslaved person. Like nobody ever died on her watch. Uh, she, you know, led all of them to safety. So that's the story that we all know and love. And that's often where we end her story. Um, however, this was not the case. So when the Civil War broke out, Harriet Tubman was one of the most involved people. And so she um, joined the, um, 
joined the forces as a first a nurse and a cook um but then she eventually became a spy and essentially the first female general um to lead a um i'm thinking of trying to think of the the military terms yeah, like a battalion, or, a battalion. <laughs> that's the word yeah um i think i'm pretty sure that's the word so she she you know led this group into battle and um she was the first female to do so and so not just the first african-american female but the first female ever um and she was very um persistent on her involvement in the civil war she wanted to see the end of slavery through so she you know she started her activism liberating herself and now she wanted to see the entire and her entire people be liberated so she first female to leave this army when she when the civil war ended she was a key factor in abraham lincoln's decision to um uh, sign the emancipation proclamation so a lot of people don't know that where she kind of convinced she did a lot of convincing um, and this is a woman who was uneducated formally. She couldn't read, she couldn't write, you know, she had brain damage, and she was able to politically advocate um, to the president and help persuade his decision. Um, and then after all that, she started, like after slavery ended and the movement was handed off to other, like, other key people, she started working on women's rights and the women's suffrage movement and just wanted to advocate for women's right to vote. And so that just kind of shows her character of like, okay, she saw her, her one mission through, she went into another um, and up until her death. And when she died, she's quoted as saying like, she's going off to, um, I'm misquoting this, so it's loosely quoting it, but she's basically was saying that she's, she's off to build a space for her people in the, in the next life. And so, her mindset was always like, I'm going to help people. One of the most amazing stories that I want to see and how this aligns with the chart is, and this has been um, heavily criticized as being false, but this comes straight from Harriet Tubman herself, um, was that after she was left, she um, left the military, she wanted, she thought she should be compensated as a general because she served as a general, or at least a spy because she was a spy and she literally risked her life spying and um, going undercover so the um th they said no um the union army said no because she was a woman and a black woman at that so they kind of were just like you you can get compensated as a nurse because you were a nurse as well she didn't think that was fair so when she finally did brain surgery to rectify the um, nar narcolepsy um she opted there is a thing uh, back in the day, which this is what's highly contested whether or not this is true, is that um, generals and key military officials, army officials, would not take anesthesia when they did surgery, and they would instead bite on bullets. Um, that's where the term um, bite the bullet comes from. Mm -hmm. And so um, she says that when she did her brain surgery, um, she didn't take any anesthesia. She just bit on bullets and did brain surgery fully conscious in a way aware medically that is like very impossible but also she's done very impossible things so i choose to believe that that's that's the truth um and you know writers have have argued like why 
she would lie about it. And some people are, say it's just to make ensure that her legacy would live on. But I don't think she would lie about it. So I'm choosing to believe that that actually happened because that's just kind of the, the badass woman she was. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh, I could talk about her all day, so I'm going to stop. But Okay, yeah. Can... We'll have all plenty of questions to ask her. Ask, oh my gosh, so that's crazy when you shared that story with me because I was already thinking, she reminds me so much of Joan of Arc. Um, this is mostly because... Yeah. She hears the voices. Um, she yeah. has all these planets in Pisces, which we'll get to that in a second. She has so much Pisces in her chart. But then also her, her having brain surgery without any anesthesia, there was a similar, uh, but not as dramatic story with Joan of Arc, where she apparently was struck with an arrow and just like yanked it out and kept fighting. People were like, <laughs> did it happen? Did it not happen? I choose to, I as well choose to believe that it did happen. Yeah. Um, I wish astrology could give us a definitive answer there. If you knew the date, I could like, I could maybe figure out like if things were hitting her chart during that moment. Um, oh yeah, I'll try to find <laughs> if I could find the date. Honestly, it's just more of like, I feel like that's separate. And you're saying Pisces are um, these people who kind of call back on their, their ancestry and are very fiery. I think that's just something that would, um, that she would do I feel like she would so like just to, if you knew the type of person she was like she was just a very like like stubborn rebellious person so like it would be the point to make of like well I'm a general and this is what generals do so I'm gonna do it too and mm -hmm. people would go no you're crazy like this is not healthy but like just to make the point of where she stands I think that would that's definitely something she would do yeah, um, people with water in their chart have that kind of, people say that water has memory, and I'm not quoting the most, the, they say that in the most recent <laughs> Frozen movie, I am not I quoting know. that Frozen movie, that Frozen movie is quoting the ancients, like water actually has oh. memory. Um, <laughs> I, I was wondering where that storyline came from, I love that part of the, the Frozen story, and I knew, I, I knew that I had heard it before, but I didn't realize from where, so that's, that's interesting. But that's like a, a quoted thing. I like that. Yeah, it's so off topic, but there's there's so much <laughs> spirituality and astrology in the most recent Frozen movie, and I was like completely blown away with. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Can we anyway, just do another totally episode about Frozen Two? Because Frozen Two, uh, can I could talk about that for days as well. So yeah. let's just. I liked it way episode. better than Frozen One. Um, oh my god! Anyway. <laughs> But um, Harriet Tubman, so, so just, she has four planets in Pisces. She has Mercury, Venus, the Sun, and Pluto, all in Pisces. And um, so Mercury and Venus and the Sun are all conjunct. And actually, so um, that Jesus, when Jesus was born, there was a triple conjunction in Pisces. Um, it wasn't mm. this exact conjunction. He actually had um, Saturn, Jupiter, and Venus, I believe, and that was actually mm -hmm. the star of Bethlehem. It was those three planets, mm -hmm. and all of their light made this like big star in the sky, and that was like the beginning of the age of Pisces. Um, and she also has mm -hmm. Saturn and Jupiter conjunct right here. Um, but uh, with with three planets being conjunct in Pisces, like I'm seeing just like remnants of like the the Christianity because we also um, I think people would call her Moses, um, which yeah, I think that's yeah. also a Jewish um that's also part of like the jewish tradition as well oh jewish and muslim yeah that's both jewish and um, muslim, yeah. the, the the three abrahamic religions so mm -hmm. yeah that's interesting yeah there's that connection because pisces is um being is 
is a very spiritual sign. It's connected to like spiritual life, um, but it's also deeply connected to like the monotheistic religions and particularly Jesus, because um, the the Pisces, um, Vir- Pisces and Virgo are opposites, so there are polarity. Uh-huh. Um, every zodiac sign has an opposite and Virgo is like the virgin who gave birth to Jesus um, and then Pisces yeah. is like Jesus walked on water and there's like I don't know the bible very well but there's like stories with him like with fish there's fish involved I don't really know <laughs> people who I'm are not Christian sure are gonna, I'm not sure either yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll tell me if they know <laughs> well they can yeah they can email you or however they contact you and yeah feel free yeah. to inform me if you're aware they'll do they'll do it in the same email they do to complain about how i'm pronouncing Bayard Preston's name yeah but what you were saying about the the brain surgery and also the fact that um you know she she managed to like get herself to freedom and then get a whole like she has like spiritual strength behind her like it's almost like there's like an invisible force that was helping her like an unseen force assisting her and and she was a deeply religious woman i think i was watching a thing with her biographer and like they had a few of her possessions and um one of her the few things that she owned because she wasn't like super attached to material stuff was um a bible (laughs) Um, yeah so yeah (laughs) no she definitely was super religious because she 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 attributed her um visions to god speaking to her and um she would say like god led me and protected me because she i mean you got to remember she had uncontrollable narcolepsy so she's trying to escape you know people hunting her like literally hunting her and she's passing out randomly and just kind of like unable to fend for herself for for minutes or hours at a time and then coming to without any recollection of what happened and so to be able to do that all by yourself no food no water nothing and you're able to escape um you know you're you're able to escape on your own and not even just escape just travel like could you imagine going to work every day with that kind of um condition that's something that's so difficult and she was able to do that 17 times because she didn't rectify this brain damage during like um anytime during the her the civil rights i'm not civil rights i'm sorry that's worth we're talking about so many figures she didn't do this anytime during her her um underground railroad experiences she um you know she she got that fixed way later so this woman was literally just running passed out fell protected somehow woke up and just kept going and see she claims that when she was passed out that's when she was given the map, you know, which I think is just very, this very interesting. Um, and it is a, a heavy connection to Joan of Arc, who also claimed the same thing, that she was communicating to, to God and she um, was acting on his message. And so um, it's a very, and then to, to see that they both have similar science, like with similar charts, um, mm-hmm. that's a very, you know, it's, a, it's interesting how all these connections get made. Yeah, it's so interesting. And that energy of like, you know, a little woman, like Joan of Arc was like a night, like teenager and Harriet Tubman oh, was yeah. a little woman. Oh my gosh, like, people don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> and and like so Joan of Arc cool. ended the 100 years war and Harriet Tubman basically like had a hand in ending slavery. Oh um, my gosh. She was, yeah, I, she was one of the key 
figures that and in slavery but she was so small like it's just like this frail old grandmother i mean she wasn't a grandmother the whole time but i mean she we we see her in pictures and but like she was still an activist at that time so she was a frail old grandmother who was just such a badass and leading these movements and you know doing it's like if you ever saw her you would be so surprised that all that force came out of that one small person i, I just uh, yeah i'm always just astounded she is astounding and then also she has her moon in libra and you were mm -hmm. talking about her being like she was she was not literate um she wasn't yeah. educated um but she was able to advocate and she was like very articulate obviously yeah um and that's having an air moon um she's somebody mm. who has a way with words and libras are peacemakers so she's able to use communication to create peace and harmony and justice and equality because mm. libra is the scales so it likes things to be balanced um yeah so yeah when you talked about her being articulate i saw that with her with her Libra moon, and which is, she doesn't have a lot of air in her chart. She's pretty much all water um, mm. and a little bit of fire. <laughs> but yeah, that's like her lone little air planet is her Libra moon. Oh, wow. So, so that's, yeah, that helps. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, because she, she definitely, she needed to share, like something I was talking to my students about today is just like a formal education helps with that, but the fact she didn't have one and she was able to discuss such complex issues is just um another testament of just the tenacity of this woman i'm so mm -hmm. obsessed with her yeah if you ever anyone listening if you ever deal with imposter syndrome in any area of your life like oh i don't belong here just remember that harriet tubman without any kind of without even being able to read basically like convinced the president to end slavery <laughs> <laughs> like and yeah i think that's just like she's a good reminder of like your passion can be your driving force and you don't have to limit yourself to like your capabilities like that's a story for the people who are you know thinking of like a, a job to take but i might not be qualified for this job or i might not be prepared to travel to this place or like you just have to remember like this is a woman who was not qualified was not prepared but was able to do it anyway just she surely based on her her passion and her um her you know her drive to help people and i think that's yeah. that's a very beautiful thing it's just like no other motivation other than just like she noticed something was wrong and she couldn't live with herself if she just sat by and so mm -hmm. that's that's a very inspirational thing it's definitely something i think back on is like you know, she could, if she could do this, then I can go to work tomorrow and help yeah. it out. <laughs> I love that. And, and that brings me to her Aries planet. So she, there's a few big cycles that started with her birth chart and are kind of like coming into completion right now. Um, mm. So I want to make sure we talk about those, even though I don't even know yeah. how we're talking, but oh, oh that, that's not so bad. I once, so. I once recorded an episode of this podcast by myself that was almost two hours. So oh <laughs> we're, we're good yeah, based on my track record. Yeah. Um, and you can feel anyhow. free to cut any of this out and people can come find me if they want more because <laughs> I could talk about this all day. <laughs> I'll just put your phone number in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> they can email me, Instagram, all that. Yeah. Yeah, all that'll be in the show notes. But anyway, 
her Aries planets. Um, so she's got Saturn in Aries. She almost has Jupiter in Aries. It's just moving into Taurus, but it's still like conjunct with Jupiter um, in her chart. And she also has Chiron in Aries. So first of all, Saturn in Aries, you talked about how she's paving a path. Um, like when she passed on there, like she's paving, she's building the world for her people in like the next life. Yeah. Um, when she escaped slavery, she paved the path for her people to follow. Saturn in yeah. your chart is what you're building. She has Saturn mm -hmm. in Aries and Aries is the leader. Um, Aries is the very first sign in the Zodiac. So when you have planets in Aries, that's an area of your life where you are willing to go first, um, where you don't need to like, like she, there were people, they weren't willing to go with her. And she's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go and I'm going to pave the way and I'm going to come back for you. Um, and that's yeah. her very much embodying her Saturn in Aries. Um, she also has Chiron in Aries. Um, so in a way she's kind of like teaching, um, teaching us how to be individuals, um, which is kind of a Chiron and Aries theme, but also teaching us how to move forward um, despite yeah. limitations we might have. Because um, Chiron is the wounded healer. That's an important part to remember about the myth of Chiron is that he had a wound that could not be healed. Um, mm -hmm. So moving forward despite um, what might be holding you back. Um, and that's where she has Chiron at five degrees Aries. Chiron is there in the year 2020 that is pretty much exactly where chiron is right now which i think it's crazy because like we, there's a movie being made there it has been made there is a movie yeah. that had just came out about her life so it's kind of like her story is coming out right now just as she's mm. experiencing her chiron return um yeah. so what do you think that her story is is trying to teach us or, or what her spirit is trying to teach us in this present moment Oh my gosh. Well, it's very, her story, I think, is very relevant in this present moment. And it, again, just this whole idea, like, I feel like, you know, we talked about post-Trump election, um, a lot of people who are activists and who are, um, you know, working hard to make this world a better place, we felt very burnt out. Um, and just tired and i think to for her story to be revived now is a message from her telling us like hey yes you're gonna be tired you're gonna be burnt out um and that's you know that's normal that's not that's not something that you need to um that's not any justification to move away from the movement. It's just, you know, you can take that as a let's go rest, but never stop. And I think that's something she she embodies of like, like we can't stop until the work is done. We can rest, but we can't um, give up just because we are feeling burnt out or hopeless or I also felt that and she endured and what because of her endurance uh, she was able to you know make the impact and and change the world in the way that she did and so i um, for circumstances we're able to do it in ours and we we have to we owe it to the next generation and her her whole motivation wasn't for herself if she was motivated for her own self-interest she would have stopped after the first time she liberated herself she had a job she was fine um if, if and she still would have been regarded as significant just for the fact that she was able to escape on her own. Um, but the fact that she kept going back shows that like, um, 
we need to we owe it she felt that she owed it to the next generation of people um to continue the fight and the resistance and so it's kind of a reminder for us that we owe it for the next generation and you you mentioned earlier this next generation is advocating for themselves but as you know as the people coming before we owe it to them to make sure that the world is a sustainable place to live for them you know just that much i think that's the bare minimum but just making sure that they can breathe the air in a, in a decade we owe that to them it just and you know she felt that for us and so yeah, it's very relevant, I think. Um, in the U.S. right now, I feel like we're kind of like in a survival mode because we have such mm -hmm. an, ins there's so much crazy stuff happening in Washington right now. And, and also like Trump so often steals the microphone. Like he, he's yeah. always, he always has the attention and he knows where to direct our attention. Um, and I think it's really important for us to choose where our attention goes and really think about what is the future that we're building here? Um, because sometimes moments can seem so hopeless and we have to remember, like there's going to be people coming after us and we want, um, we want future generations to be able to breathe the air, to be able to live in a democratic country where they have, you know, guaranteed rights and to be able to like have all the things that we were lucky enough to have and that our ancestors fought so hard for us to have. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. No, exactly. I feel like just to tie it all back to the whole idea of um, Black history and why we celebrate it, I think um, the Black community is a very selfless organization, uh, not organization because they're not organization, but they're a very selfless community in terms of a lot of Black fought for rights, not for themselves, but for the people to come and have fought for um, a country that didn't want them, um, that kind of used them as resources and not as people. And so um, this, you can definitely feel a genuine American spirit um, when you look back at black history, because you, you, you see people who believe in the potential of this country and who are, are striving in order to help this country reach its potential for all people. Um, even in the face of such discrimination. And so I think all these stories can be summarized in just this idea that um, we celebrate Black history in order to commemorate the people who genuinely want this country to be the greatest it can be, to kind of reminisce on Make America Great Again. We've been working very hard to make it great, and it hasn't been great for everybody, but the the people who hasn't haven't the people who haven't been able to experience the greatness that America has to offer work so hard to make sure that the next people that come after them mm -hmm. can. And I think that's why that's just something that is very inspiring, very important for us to consider. Yeah, such a good point. History is like filled with so many selfless people that kind of get lost to it. Um, yeah, and it's. Yeah. so important to spotlight those people and remember that it isn't about being in the spotlight even like with Bayard um or even um Claudette and Harry like it's not about being in the spotlight it's about what you care about it's about what's in your heart um oh, yeah. one thing so this is one of the craziest things that I saw on her chart I actually like almost cried because I get emotional about astrology um 
so if you see yeah. right here, so this is Capricorn, this is Neptune, and this is Uranus. Um, they're conjunct, so they're in the same spot in the sky. And mm -hmm. this happens, this exact thing happens every 170 yeah. years. So um, it happened when she was born, which was 1822. So it happened like in the early 1820s. And anyone born in the early 1820s have this aspect in their chart. Um, the, after that, the mm -hmm. 170, later, 170 years later, it happened again in the late 90s. And that's when we were born, actually. So we have this same aspect in our chart, um, as well as anybody who was born from oh, like wow. 1993 to, to 1996 oh. about. Um, and it, it is, it's a rare thing. And this cycle, this 170 year cycle is very much about um, the stories, the collective story of humanity. Um, Uranus likes to disrupt things and kind of like rewrite them for the sake of more equality and more authenticity. And Neptune is about our mythology um, and the story, like, like we mythologize our founding fathers as Americans, like history can often be heavily mythologized. Um, so it's about rewriting the, the story of humanity or the story of a society. Um, so yeah, I was just, it blew my mind that she had that because there are people on this earth right now with that same chart. So how do you think um, we could use Harriet Tubman's story to sort of like, how can we carry on her legacy and um, I guess sort of like mythologize her? And um, I, what's the question I'm actually trying to ask here? Because um, what I keep thinking about is that like, there was a big push to put her on the $20 bill, um, which is sort of like, an attempt to sort of like rewrite the idols that we have as Americans, like take Andrew Jackson off of the 20 and put, and put Harriet up there. Um, so yeah, I think the question I'm actually trying to arrive at is like, how can we sort of shift the mythology and the storytelling of US history um, to spotlight people like Harriet and to make sure that people like her are remembered? I got the movie that came out this year was a good start for that. Making sure we take the time to tell the full story. Like I said, like um, um, key figures or, um, sorry, a lot of times we miss key figures or we miss um, up very important parts of the story because we are trying to condense it. And so I think taking the time and we can do that through um, extensive lessons we can do that through movies and art and stories but taking the time to really explore the depths of each person's story and understanding that they are a person with multiple layers um and kids and anybody who needs to uh, the space to kind of dissect and take the best practices and and you know learn from the mistakes of these figures and perfect the um the advocacy that they they've aspired to do so a lot of transparency and representation is important um making sure the stories are told that the dollar bills have the faces on it uh being very critical of who we do choose to idolize uh you know there's a, in our own lifetime there was a shift from the way we viewed Christopher Columbus. A lot of that stemmed from what we learned about him in school. 
and versus what happened when we got out of school. So being very intentional in our education system, um, and this goes back to me saying like, work where you're at, I'm in the education system. So for me, uh, it's being very intentional in the classroom of telling the full story and letting the students come up with the conclusions um, as opposed to telling the story based off of my own pre preconceived conclusion. So I usually don't, I try not to tell my students that I love Harry Tubman so much until after I teach a teacher so that they can kind of come to their own conclusion and have an unbiased um, perspective parts of her legacy that might be problematic or that might come into contention with things that are happening today. And so um, by allowing each other to as opposed to um, watering down this is something that's very, very important. Um, because if we, we think of it, I think of all the Greek gods and goddesses and um, all of them have positive and negative aspects, the good and the bad. And so I think the thing that we're, we're starting to see with the, the more we allow representation in diverse fields, um, the more we, we see these stories being told in the proper way. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good point about what you said about the Greek gods having positive and negative aspects. Um, and it kind of ties back to what you were saying earlier about like, you know, like Martin Luther King um, and like all these people that we idolize, they, they had really good intentions, but they were people and they made mistakes. Um, and I think if we can be a little more forgiving with historical figures yeah. and saying like, okay, this person made a few mistakes, like he wouldn't let this dark-skinned pregnant girl um, really share her story, but he, he also did all of these amazing things. Um, and I think it's, um, it helps us to then look at the people in the present and say, like, like for example, like presidential candidates, like, or even presidents or politicians. Yeah. Um, I don't know why that's coming to mind, but like, like, oh, like, yeah. I don't really agree with this one thing that this person did, but like overall, um, I think that we can, I think the reason politics came to mind is because like, as I'm watching the primaries, people seem to like, like one thing comes out about a candidate that's like not great. And then everyone just like freaks out and it like yeah. takes over the news cycle. Um, so I think there's that energy of like wanting to be a little more forgiving towards people who are trying to do really good things yeah. and trying to help. Uh, assuming the best intentions is something we need to do. So being willing to, to confront the problems is, is you know, King Jr. had multiple in his time because of those reasons. He was um, criticized and he was a uh, controversial figure. He wasn't fully accepted by either group. Um, and people, some, you know, some people thought he wasn't doing enough. Some people thought he was doing too much. And so like, it's those kind of um, ways in which we view these, these figures. He wasn't the, the legacy that he is today. And so when we, we take the time to explore that, we can apply it to our own lives as opposed to just kind of holding him or anybody else as a end-all be-all role model, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important. Um, and I think, yeah, and I think that kind of brings us to sort of like some final thoughts on um, the people that we talked about today in like Black history in general. Um, what, um, what are some things that we can do as like regular people who are listening to this podcast and talking about history and ideas and stuff? 
how can we make sure that these stories are heard and how can we like work to promote racial equality and race relations in the United States or wherever these people are in the world who are currently listening to us talk? <laughs> yeah, um, well, vote is always important. And I think um, we, we have been lucky enough that our, our historical figures um, have advocated for a system that allows us to um, have a say. And so, you know, we have to make sure that regardless of how um, inconvenient it might seem, that voting is, is essential in order to make sure that our world is sustained. And voting, not just for yourself, but for the stranger, just the most basic thing you can do as um, to start an activist journey and to start being an advocate is when you do, how will they be affected and what can you do to make sure that they're protected? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's, that's a start. And just being courageous in, like I said, in your field and being willing to think outside the box in terms of how can what you're doing right now regardless if it feels like it's connected to the movement or not, how can you connect it to the movement? Um, and, you know, searching within yourself, reaching out to, to friends and role models and um, taking, you know, best practices from the people around you and applying it to yourself. I think those are all ways that you can get started. Yeah, oh, you're always so inspirational, Aziz. I remember when, because again, like we were seniors in college when, when Trump was elected. And I remember like, you know, we would be like out to lunch or something and be like, what can we do with these? What do we do? Um, and, <laughs> you know, you're a Gemini, you heal with words. So you always have like a really inspirational answer to that stuff. And people like you are very needed in this moment in time that we find ourselves in. So thank you for being you. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I'll, I, I would say the same exact thing to you. You're, you're a very like action oriented person and you you were definitely one of the crutches i i leaned on during that time period and i think that's when our, our friendship strengthened the most is just kind of like being able to lean on each other and me being able to kind of express these ideas and you being like okay let's do it like mm -hmm. i think that's you know that's and that's another answer to your question of like how do we move forward find the people like find the other people who complement your strengths and so you know, I think that's, you, you're definitely a good compliment to any of the strengths I might have. So I appreciate you. Oh, appreciate you too. Love it. <laughs> so yeah, thank you again, Aziz, for taking the time to sit down and talk with us about these amazing people and sharing yourself with the Time Personified listeners.